0: Twenty years ago we got never forget when a bunch of people who thought they were doing something good took innocent life in our own country's history we went from remember to infamy to don't forget We have been commanded to remember a day of infamy from history that was earth-shattering, changed the world forever. And it can be easy for us to forget, but God has sent us a love note that we get to enjoy as often as we drink it in remembrance of him. So we are in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and sent to the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So our first question, what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? We know it's the celebration of Passover. This is the first day. We remember way back, about 1,500 years before the events of Jesus' life take place, Israel was enslaved by Egypt. Moses came to free God's people. And how did he do it? first through nine plagues that got progressively worse. They had more of an effect on the people. But then there was the tenth. The death of the firstborn. This is the inauguration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because as Exodus 12 reminds us, the Lord struck down all the firstborn children in Egypt. Doesn't necessarily just mean men. Men and it included animals, unless a home slaughtered a lamb and painted its blood around the door. And let's remember 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, many times animals and humans might live in the same building. <clears throat> now, this blood was a sign for the Spirit to pass over these Houses to not kill any firstborns in there. But why is it called unleavened bread? Because the Israelites did not have time to make sure their bread was ready. This is a reminder for us that the Lord can take us at any time. Just like he came in and took the firstborn, we could die at any moment. Tomorrow is promised to none of us. But we also know that this is an entire week-long feast. It has unleavened bread every day of the week. You are not allowed to have any bread that has been allowed to rise. And it is to remind the people that they were redeemed by God. And it was done quickly. And this is where I also help Pastor Scott out a little bit with what he's been teaching and say this could possibly also point to a rapture, something that happens. We are to be prepared, but we don't know when Christ is returning. Now Jesus and his disciples, specifically the 12, but it's possible there were more people. Passover meal is supposed to be a family meal. And if your family is too small, you're to go to another family's house and have it with them. Each Passover lamb was supposed to feed at least 10 people. There's no specific mention of whether anybody else was here. It's possible there could have been more disciples. Mary, Martha, and I did it again. Lazarus, he keeps leaving my mind, but it's okay. He comes back. Um, (laughs) They may have been there. A few other of the disciples who had been walking with Jesus may have been there. We don't know. Large upper rooms in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago could hold up to 50 people. But at the very least, we know he's there with the 12. They were going to be eating the meal together. They needed a place. And so let's start by remembering there are a lot of groups of people in and around Jerusalem. A bunch of people who were looking for a Messiah, some who weren't, some who did more preparing than others the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, the Essenes. But the group that came the closest to actually identifying. What the Messiah would be like. Were these Essenes? What about these Essenes? Who cares about the Essenes? This was a group who was expecting the soon coming of the Messiah. They often were secluded in communities outside of cities. This is something Jesus and the New Testament kind of said, don't do. Don't hide yourself away out there to spread God's word. So we see one of the areas they were messing up, but they went out there to live pure lives, to not be defiled by the world and to copy Hebrew texts, even the Greek versions of the Hebrew text. So what we call the Old Testament, but also other things, the books we call the Apocrypha, letters written between great teachers, even some things from kings of the past, So they weren't just copying the Bible. And there are now some evidences that they even let some of the women copy some of these things, which means they were letting the women read and write too. But only men could be priests. They were the only ones who could copy the scripture. And I jokingly say that This group could be called the Roman Catholic Hippie Communes because Roman Catholic, they have a few more books than we do. That's the reason they're Roman Catholic. Hippie Communes, because they live out of society, and they teach some crazy things that most people didn't want to hear. So it's a joke. But uh, they tended to be cleaner. They believed in daily ritual. Cleansings, you know, taking a bath. And they were the ones who dug the deepest into Scripture and said, we're expecting at least one person who's going to come, and he's going to teach radical things. He's going to do amazing things that we can't fathom. He might not be a warrior. That's the big clincher. They were willing to believe he might not be a conqueror. They were the closest to understanding this Messiah. But we also know the Essenes kept at least one house in the nearby city. So, in this case, Jerusalem. So that if somebody needed to run and get supplies, there was a place they could stay. They could store some of the supplies there. Or if a big event came up, like the Passover, they'd have a place they could come meet together near the temple because they still had to go to the temple. had to be cared for by priests, and no one else. Why is all of this important? Because in these days, who carried water jars everywhere? Women. So if you were walking down the streets of Jerusalem and you saw a man carrying a big water jar, odds are he's in a scene. Because men don't do that. The women do that. So is it possible, Jesus knew beforehand when he'd need to be in town, and he's working with one of these groups of Essenes to say, hey, can I use the house? I need it this week. Is it possible? It's definitely possible. It's also possible. Jesus, as the son of God, was able to go, hmm, there's going to be a man who's going to show you where we can eat. Talk to him. He'll... Be willing to let you use our house or use their house. So I'm not saying he definitely planned it all in his human life, but it's possible. He just needed a large room for dinner. But what else is interesting about this water? God loves water. We remember that the earth was formed out of water by God long ago, and by those same waters, God destroyed. The world. It was through water Israel was saved from Egypt. Our Lord was baptized and expects all of us to be baptized in water. His first miracle, turning water into wine. And now it's a sign for his disciples to go to a place where they can have the Last Supper. Where again we see the new sign of the new covenant. It's the wine. We also know from Luke's gospel that the two disciples who went ahead were Peter and John. They were the ones who went ahead to prepare the food. They probably had to go get the lamb from the temple and then take it back and have it roasted. They probably prepared all of the side dishes that were needed. It was Their turn to do it, and we're pretty sure they did most of the work on Thursday. Partially because you look back at the calendar, and you were supposed to start preparations on Nissan 14. Wouldn't you know it? In 80, 30, and 33, both years falls on a Thursday. But why did they start on Thursday? Because Nissan 15 is the actual Passover. Well, how do the Jews tell time? Exodus 12 reminds us that you were to prepare the dinner at evening on the 14th, so that on the 15th, that starts at sundown, you may have your meal together. Verse 17 in Mark 14 says, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. So we know that this meal doesn't even begin until the evening. We remember from the other Gospels that the first thing that happens after Jesus arrives with all of his disciples is the first thing he does. He washes their feet. This is a major sign of humility. He is the host. The host is the one who is supposed to be able to sit down and talk with everybody. It could even be shaming the one who is supposed to do it. Because in Jewish society, what servants are working on Passover day? None of them, because at Passover, all Jews are free. So who washes the feet? Usually, it's the person sitting in the lowest seat the place of least honor who do we think that might be for a couple reasons we think Peter was in the least seat why because he's the one who complains about Jesus washing his feet but also where's the seat of honor Tables, at this time, were mostly a U-shape. The host and his two guests of honor would sit at one end. The one who was in the place of least honor sat at the other end. And we know that as Jesus ate, they would usually recline, laying on their left side, eat with their right hand. John leaned back on Jesus' chest. So where's John's sitting to Jesus' right, which is actually the second most important seat. So if John is leaning on Jesus, second most important seat, who's sitting next to him? This is where I warn you we're going to jump around a little bit in the passage because I'll read a little bit, skip a little bit, read a little bit and then jump back at the end. But it's because Jesus has just washed their feet and is getting ready to enjoy a meal with his friends. And don't worry, I'll get back to who's sitting in the seat of honor. How hard was this meal for Jesus? Because picking up in verse 18, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. We remember from the message last week that Judas has already gone to the Jewish leadership and accepted payment to betray Jesus. So we're not surprised by this but neither is Jesus. The other Gospels help us see that they have been eating together for a time. And we know that Jesus quietly calls out "Jesus or Judas. Judas says, surely it is not I. And he says, you have said so. Nobody else heard it which means Jesus was able to whisper it to Judas, who is sitting in the place of honor at the Last Supper. So we see John is in the second place. And it looks like Judas is in the place of highest honor after the host. They whisper for a bit, And then we know Judas gets up and Jesus says, go do what you must do. The other disciples just assume, oh, he's the guy with the money. He's probably just going to make sure we have all the supplies we need for the rest of the week. Helps us see Judas probably wasn't there for the most important part of the meal. we see that Jesus goes into this meal thinking about the man who will betray him to death. Someone who has been with him, followed him, eaten with him, witnessed miracles with him for over three years. Somebody who is considered a friend. A friend who not only turns his back but almost literally stabs his friend in the back. How do you think Jesus felt during this meal? Maybe some of you have wondered, as I have, about Jesus' words here, that it would be better if that man had never been born. Maybe you've wrestled with this idea. How can a sovereign God, a good God, create somebody he knew would just be going to hell? How could he make somebody specifically to be destroyed? We also know that our God created people with free will. He created us with the option to deny Him. Judas, who had been with Jesus for over three years, and just in the last week alone saw a man healed of blindness, saw a lame man walk, saw him shoot down, the arguments of the Jewish leaders who were trying to trap him. He chose to betray his friend and his God who is sovereign, who can see the evil intents of our hearts, who knows the decisions we're going to make. And instead of well, let's just see what happens. He says, I don't want you to die, but you now get to play a role in my plan of salvation. So Jesus laments that his friend is choosing not only to reject a friend, but God himself This is a man who has seen God face to face in the person of Jesus. And now has to face eternity separated from him. But is this all Jesus can think of? Because if we skip ahead a few verses to verse 26, we see he has more weighing on him. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they will all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this is Very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Jesus has to walk away from dinner knowing one of his friends is about to kill him. And then he calls out his disciples, especially Peter, saying, you're all going to walk away. You will all deny me. First, we see the backstabbing friend. Now we see that even his closest friends, pun intended, are going to leave him hanging In his darkest hour, Jesus is having dinner with his closest friends, knowing that he is on the way to the cross, knowing that one of his friends is sending him there, and that all of his friends are about to abandon him. So, what can we learn from this? What are we calling this series through Mark? Power serve. What does it look like to serve others with the power of God? It is humility in the face of hatred. He washed the feet of those who would abandon him even the one directly responsible for his death. It is grace in the middle of greed. Even when everybody else is pursuing their own interests, we go after truth. Even when you find out a friend of yours sold you out. And 30 pieces of silver according to the research I did, cost half as much as the expensive nard that was poured out on Jesus by Mary. Which means Judas, the one who complained about how expensive it was and we could have sold it and gotten money to give to the poor, didn't even get as much to sacrifice his friend. And it is love in the light of and in spite of loss and darkness. Because Jesus knows all of this. And we're even going to hear next week about how it started before the arrest. In the dark of the garden. Just stay awake and pray. We are not really given permission to hide ourselves when painful circumstances come our way. If we call ourselves Christ followers, the example given to us by our Lord and Savior is that when we know there is no one there for us, when our friends abandon us, when we are in our darkest moments, we don't give up. We don't go inside of ourselves. That is the exact moment we rely on our Father to guide us, to show us how to show humility, grace, and love. We serve others, most importantly, With the good news of Jesus Christ, in his power and love, by his grace, humbly and without complaint. How many have messed that up even today? (laughs) But that's what Jesus did. He knew what was coming, and he served his friends abandoned him. Think about it. What really was his example? This is the Passover meal. They probably talked about the God who spared Israel when all of the firstborn were slain. And Jesus, the firstborn of God, fully God and fully man, comes to be the firstborn whose blood was shed to save all of us who call on his name. Instead of a year-old lamb, we have Jesus, the Lamb of God who laid down his life. Instead of blood being painted over the door, the door itself poured out his blood. Instead of death coming for us, he defeated death Through taking away our sin by becoming sin on the cross and rising again from the grave. In other words, instead of unleavened bread, we have the bread of life who was broken for us and rose. He became a friend when his friends abandoned him. And he gave us a reminder. He gave us a love note that we can read, that we can enjoy as often as we drink of it in remembrance of him. So, Christians, join me if you will, because as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take this, this is my body, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take communion to remember his humility and sacrifice for his friends for those who abandon and ignore him, for those who put him on a cross to suffer, for those who mistreat him, mock him, and turned away from him. But we have this hope that we are forgiven by his blood. We are saved by his life and death. But he is coming again. And one day we will get to enjoy these elements together with our God, who has called us friend.